Uh, so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Jose. I'm another one of the leaders, and we're in week two of a series in the book of Acts. Now, we're going to go there in a minute, uh, but as you go to your Bible, before you go to Acts 1, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 3. In order to set up for today, uh, we're going to look at the Luke, uh, Luke's gospel. If you missed last week, a lot of background. I encourage you to get the podcast for free. You can download it off of our website. And because Luke wrote both a gospel called Luke and a book called Acts, we need to see what he says in Acts follows what he was saying in Luke. So go to Luke chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, and we'll read. Luke 3, 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John, that's John the Baptist, might be the Messiah. John the Baptist answered them all, I baptize you with or in water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. First two chapters of Luke are about the genealogy, the background, the birth of Jesus. We see him as a teenager going to the temple, and then we see him now. Luke 3, the beginning. John the Baptist says, I'm not even worthy to tie or untie his sandals. A little piece of information, all this is background to what we're going to read in Acts, is uh, no one wants to be a slave. Anyone here want to be a slave? No, you don't want to. But for Jews in the first century, that little phrase, for Jews in the first century, if you fell into slavery or, or you became a servant, the one thing you were not to do is to wash the feet of your master. That's, that's a level so low. It's reserved for the lowest of the low. So if you're a Jew, man, even though your master's great, you don't want to wash his feet. So Luke early on makes a distinction. We're going to go to Luke 3.16 all throughout the series. Because Acts is a fulfillment of Luke 3.16. The one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the greatest prophet in all the world, in all history, according to Jesus. Jesus says John the Baptist is the greatest. Yet, Luke makes a distinction. Just like a master is great, but, but man, you don't want to go so, 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 so low as to wash your servant's feet. John the Baptist, the greatest, says... The one who's going to come is so great, he's so worthy, he's so unlike me, that I'm so, 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 so low, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Luke is making comparison. Baptism with water is about a cleansing. It's about a renewal. It's about the washing away of the old. It's about a dedicating your life to be clean before God. But John the Baptist says with his own lips, what's going to come and the one who's going to come, there is no comparison. If you see God at work in my life, John the Baptist says, you ain't seen nothing yet. The one who's coming is that great. Now, jump ahead one more spot, Luke 24. Uh, remember, if you're reading Acts, you probably just read Luke because Luke writes the gospel and then he continues in the book of Acts. Luke 24, and we'll read from verse 36. So the beginning, the one to come who's going to baptize not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and fire, because he's greater than water, Jesus, spirit, fire, greater than John, baptism, water. At the end, Jesus 
teaches, he dies, he rises again, and then he appears. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. So no one expects Jesus to rise again. No one. Even though he predicted it. Uh, he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your mind? Look at my hands and feet. It's myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were still did not believe it, but because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. I just want you to see this. Beginning, the greater one's going to come. At the end, the greater one is Jesus, but everyone thinks he's a ghost and everyone's scared to death and no one knows what to do with Jesus. No one knows what to do with Jesus. So Jesus has to say to them, touch me, I am not a ghost. And oh, by the way, in case you think you're having a hallucination, give me your lunch. Mmm, tasty, thank you. A little more salt and pepper, please. But you know, he, he says, I'm going to eat it in your presence. Verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, first five books of the Bible, the prophets, the Nevi'im, and the Psalms, the Ketuvim. Every bit of the Bible is about me, says Jesus. And if you don't believe it, verse 45, then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures these guys know the Bible, but they don't know the Bible. Ever feel like that? Like, I know, I know a bit of the Bible, but then I hear something like, wow, I didn't know that. Well, imagine that moment with Jesus who takes up the whole Bible and says, me, 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 me. You know, he just goes through, oh, that, no, that wasn't David. That, he's talking about me. And so Jesus does that. What does he say? Luke doesn't tell us. But he told them, this is what is written, and then Luke summarizes it. The Messiah will suffer. And rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You, speaking to the people around him, are witnesses of these things. And then Jesus pushes it forward. I am going to send you what my father's promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So there's doubt at the end of Luke because, because the people doubt at the beginning. Is John the Baptist the one? John tries to settle it, but people still don't know. Is it John? Is it Jesus? And at the end, it's the same thing. So what does Jesus do to answer their doubt? He shows up. He tangibly walks with them, eats with them, speaks with them, and he explains the entire story of God. And where the story of God is going is startling. Jesus says, Messiah is going to die, rise again on the third day. And oh, he is going to be proclaimed, preached, heralded, spoken about to the nations starting in Jerusalem. And he says, oh, you're going to be a part of it, but wait. I'm going to give you the power to do what you cannot do. Wait till you receive the Spirit. All right. With that mind flip over, go past the Gospel of John, go to Acts 1. Because if you read Luke 24, you're going to see the connection to Luke 1. He ends with, wait, receive the Spirit on high. And now he picks it up and we'll read from verse 1. Acts 1.1. In my former book, that's Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all 
that Jesus began to do and to teach. We spoke about it last week, that there are works and words of Jesus. That's the Gospel of Luke. And there are works and words of Jesus through his people, and that's the book of Acts. It's all about Jesus's works and words. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. That's Luke 24. So Jesus is with them for 40 days, teaching them, instructing them, encouraging them, eating with them, drinking with them, and he's walking through walls, getting in and out of the room. That's another story for another day. All right, after his suffering, verse 3, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs he was alive. And I think that's the eating part. No one was expecting the resurrection to happen now. Jews believed at the end of the age, at the end of time, those who are in God would be miraculously risen to life and rule with God. But no one expected it to happen like now. And Jesus shows up not at the end of time. He ends up rising three days after he dies. And so Jesus is fully alive like they're expecting everyone to be at the end of time. So this is shocking. But he gives them proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now what is that? We'll spend a lot of time in Acts talking about the kingdom of God. But for now, let's just start with just an elementary definition. It's the place where God rules. The kingdom of God is the space, the place where God is ruling. Now, wait a minute, I thought God like ruled the whole universe. Yes, but there are places and there are people that reject God's leadership. And so all that God wants to do is thwarted in one sense because people choose to ignore God. And so there are places, there are people where God is fully working his rule out, working his leadership out. And, and Jesus is talking about, as a matter of fact, the entire teaching of Jesus is about the kingdom of God. You read the Gospel of Luke, you'll see it again. Jesus came teaching about the kingdom of God. He's talking about life where God is really ruling you. And if you're spiritually seeking, if you want to know what it is to really walk with God, hang in there. That's why we come every week, is to consider what does it mean to really know? Can I really know? Can I really be led by God? Even with my baggage, my background, my stuff, if you've got your issues, hey, I've got mine. But God does want to lead his people. So Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of God. Now, verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. So another time, he's eating with them. He's tangibly there. This is not a hallucination. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Go back to Luke. You'll see where Jesus talks about the moving of the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in John, you see that Jesus is speaking about the Spirit is going to come. But he tells them to wait. Verse 5. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized or immersed with or in the Holy Spirit. That's Luke 3.16 coming right back at you. So Luke, the writer, starts with the story of Jesus. Someone's going to come. He's so much greater than John. His baptism is greater than John. It's the Holy Spirit. At the end of it, the disciples don't get it, so Jesus has to take them all throughout the Bible, Genesis, all the way through the prophets to say, this is me. And all throughout the prophecies, 
God spoke about bringing and giving his spirit in fullness. So, so God plants it all throughout the Hebrew scriptures and Jesus says, now that everything's been said, it's about to be fulfilled. So then they gathered around him, verse six, and asked him, Lord, at this time, are you gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? So the kingdom of God is a place where God rules and God reigns. But there's the kingdom of God, which Jesus is talking about. He says, when you get the spirit, it's gonna all make sense. But then there's the kingdom of Israel. Kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Israel. They ask a very honest question. Because if you read the Hebrew scriptures, you know that God spoke to a man named Abram, later called Abraham. And in Genesis 12, God said, I, because you have chosen to follow me and put your faith in me, I'm going to use you, Abram, and out of your offspring, I'm going to bless the whole world. And out of your line of people, Abram becomes a people called Israel, a nation. And God wanted to take a group of people, not because he loved them more than everyone else, but because he wanted to show what it is like to follow him. If you want to have a good marriage, here's a tip. Look at another couple that has a good marriage, right? You want to be good at your career. Find someone who's really good in your field of study. If you want to know what it is to succeed in an area, find someone who's already succeeded. This makes sense. So Israel is to be a model to the world. What is following God look like? Just look at this group of people. But we know the story because we've read the Bible. And the problem is, instead of offering salvation to the world, Israel needs to be saved herself because she's, she's backslidden. She's turned her face against God. She's done her own thing as a, as a community, as a nation. They're rebellious. So, so God sends his Messiah, his deliverer, his Savior, to rescue Israel, and now he's going to rescue the world. So the disciples are asking an honest question. In their field of view, in their framework, in order for the kingdom of God to come, Israel must be in the land, their territory. They have to own it, rule it. They have to have a king, like King David, King Solomon, and all the kings after. And they have to have the temple. The temple's the place you meet with God. So you got land, you got king, you got temple. They want to know, okay, God, at what point and what time are you going to restore this kingdom of Israel? If you know the story in the first century, the time of Jesus, Rome rules Jerusalem. The temple's a bit of a sham, and there is no Israeli king. They're asking because they expected, as they read the Bible, on the day of the Lord, when the Lord comes and sends his Messiah, in one day, he's going to turn everything upside down. Ever just been convinced that you were right and found out you were wrong? Don't look bad at the disciples. They just don't get it yet. Jesus has been teaching them, but they don't get it, which is so encouraging to us 2,000 years later. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is sharing. His spirit is moving, and we don't get it. If you're not there yet, join the club. We're growing in grace. And, and so they're asking, kingdom of Israel. Now, what, what they don't know, and now we can know if we choose to open our mind and listen, what they didn't know is that God is going to use this nation called Israel to be a light to the nations, but it's not as they anticipated. It's going to go bigger. It's going to go broader. It's going to go more global more quickly, and it's not going to require a king in Israel. And so they don't know what time and what place. So they're asking Jesus, when? 
When are you going to do what you said you're going to do? In response to this, look at what Jesus says, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know the times or the dates. Don't worry about timing. We want to know, they want to know when, and Jesus diverts their attention to something more pressing. And I think, you know, this is so telling. Don't you and I, aren't we obsessed about timing? We want to know, like, I graduated a few months ago. When is someone going to pay me a lot of money? Like, you know, because don't they know I studied right before the exams? Don't they know I acquired these bills, these student loans? Don't they know how awesome I We want to know when. Uh, we're looking for relationship, and we want to know when. If you're single, you want to know when am I going to find that person that I long to do life with. If you're married, when, when are we going to have children or when are we going to get the house? or when are we, You know, we are all obsessed with when. And Jesus says, man, there's something more important. Here's why. And he gives us an insight. It's like the Wizard of Oz. We get to go behind the curtain. It's none of our business. <laughs> so we're all like, God, when are you, when are you, when are you, when are you? And Jesus, I think, would say to you, if you're wondering when, it is not for you and I to know the times and dates that the Father has set by his own authority, a.k.a. God owns time. He owns your time. He owns my time. He owns global time. And he even works within the time zones. He's good. Like he, he works at night. He works in the morning. He authorizes time. So timing is important, but it's not the most important thing. Instead, Jesus says, don't worry about the time. God takes care of time, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus lays out. Now, if you never look carefully at Acts 1.8, it's an outline for the whole book. Uh, if you see the rest of the way Luke puts together the book of Acts, it's chopped up into the statement. The gospel, the good news, the kingdom is going to be preached in Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 7. In Judea and Samaria, chapters 8 and following. And then when you get into Acts 20s, it goes towards the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth for them is Rome. Rome is the center of the known universe. And so if things can make it to Rome and the Roman Empire, the world has been covered. And Acts is an outgrowth of what happens when a, a group of people is not obsessed with when, but thinks about where. And we'll get to that in just a few minutes because there's a distinction between being obsessed with when and being aware as to where. Now, the kingdom of God. How is God going to do what God's going to do? Uh, the kingdom of God is simply where God rules, where God reigns. And today, I just want us to think, as we're going to be looking in the next few weeks about Jesus' promise fulfilled, what is the kingdom of God about? And how can you and I partner with God to push forward his kingdom in the world that we live in? A couple of things, if you're a note taker, write it down. Number one, the kingdom of God is spiritual. The kingdom of God is spiritual. The, 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 the disciples are wondering, 
when are we going to have a national king, national land, national temple, national rule? When are the borders going to be owned by us, Jesus? And by the way, they are implying we're going to get some cabinet positions too. Jesus, when do we take over? And Jesus is saying that, yes, the kingdom of God does hit those realms. The kingdom of God does hit government rule. It does hit tangible things. But in its essence, the kingdom of God is spiritual. Now, how, how do I know that? Verse 8. You will receive power. The word there is dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is going to give a group of people power. The kingdom of God is where God rules and reigns. And if God's going to rule you, and I say that in the most loving way, we don't like, we're Americans. Who likes to be ruled, right? But if God's going to be, let me be nicer. If God's going to lead and guide you, coach you, rule you, okay? If God's going to rule your world, what is it going to look like? The Holy Spirit, is a spiritual thing. The Holy Spirit is going to come and you're going to receive power. Uh, that word, power, can also be described as might, strength, force, capability. What God's rule is going to do is it's going to be a spiritual thing. He's going to lead you, not like stand in front of you and you walk like a zombie, but he's going to come and he's going to guide you and I, and he's going to provide dunamis, power, ability, might, strength that we don't have. So the way God's rule works in the lives of people is not that I convert you by force. I don't have to put a gun, and the church has done this in history. I love church history. And sometimes we've misunderstood that the kingdom of God is spiritual, and Christians have taken over areas and forced people to be Christians. It doesn't work. Because the kingdom of God is spiritual. The Holy Spirit has to come on them and give them the power to see who Jesus is and the power to lay down their sin and replace it with the presence of Jesus himself. The kingdom of God is spiritual. It's power. But it's not ordinary power. The first house my wife and I bought when we lived here before we moved away and come back, came back was in Hillsborough, Hillsborough off of Cornelius Pass in Quatama. It was a new development of townhouses. And we bought it. And it came with townhouse living. Like the front had bark chips. There's just no grass. The entire front yard was probably a third of the size of the stage. And, and it's just bark chips and a little bush. And I, being uh, a New Yorker and having no handy skills, I wanted grass. You know, like I grew up, we had a little plot of grass. So I wanted a little plot of grass. And so I raked off all the bark chips and I went to lay down Instagrass, the rug. You know, what do you call it? Exactly. Sod, who cares? Uh, my story, I could tell it the way I want. So Instagrass, sod. So I'm, just, I'm not going to like wait for a lawn. Come on. Now, I want a lawn. Poof, lawn. And so my neighbor, he looks over, and I raked it all, and I'm going to lay out the Instagrass, the sod. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, put it along. And then he really helped me. He's like, you got to move the dirt so that the roots can go down. And it's like, okay. And so I start poking, you know. He's like, no, you need a rototiller. You need to, you need to till the soil. Okay, go to Home Depot, get a credit card, get the biggest one possible, Get it out. It's, it's ginormous. And so for my front yard, like a third of this stage, I'm going to rototill it. So you, you, if you've ever worked with this device, you just, 
You pull it, and then you, and then you, and it starts churning the soil. I just jump forward with it. I'm like, this is awesome. And I, and I'm in, in, in minutes, I did the front yard. I did the backyard. I felt there's a golf course that was across the street. I, I wanted to do the whole golf course. I just, come on. Cause you rent it by the hour. I might as well get use of it. And I very quickly realized that device had the power that I do not have. It had the torque. It had the engine. It had, it had the muscle. It had the blades that I don't have. But if I connect with the rototiller, if I connect with the power, I was able to do our lawn in a way that I could not do. And that is a very weak sauce analogy to what Jesus is promising you. He said, I'm going to give you my spirit. And when the spirit comes on you, you will have the dunamis. You will have the power necessary to take this great saving news to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The kingdom of God, first of all, is spiritual. But it's not just like spiritual in this mystical sense. It's spiritual connected with something that sometimes we don't look. It's connected with the miraculous. Now, I mentioned last week that Acts is going to step on our intellectual toes. It's going to step on the way we think. It's going to step on our assumptions about what is real, what is true, what is good, and what is right, and what is the kingdom of God. And so let's begin the toe stepping. Dunamis in the life of Jesus, power in the life of Jesus, is connected to his miraculous activity. We think power, we think like the ability just to change someone's thinking and mind and attitude. That's partly true. But as Luke puts it, and I'm going to give you a few examples Power is connected to miracles. Let's just look at the screen. Let's look at the first example. It is uh, Luke 5.17. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus. The dunamis of the Lord was with Jesus to do what? Heal the sick. Next example, uh, Luke 6.19. The people all tried to touch him, Jesus, because power, dunamis, was coming from him and healing them all. This is that, that, uh, now, power and Jesus, we're cool with that. But Luke 9, 1 will mess us up. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them dunamis and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So this dynamic promise by God, this power promised by God for his people to do what God called them to do is often tied to the exercising or the removal of demonic forces and the healing of broken, real ailments. Now, when we think about Christian power, do we think in those terms? Let's just be honest. We're white suburbanites. Well, you are. You know, I, I'm slightly Latin, okay, but I'm a suburbanite. Slightly Latin means I have a Latin name and can't speak the language, if, in case you weren't familiar. We, we think in terms of rational thought. And th so I say, oh, yeah, that's for the 12, it's for Jesus. But the, the, that power, certainly, that was for then. But now we have hospitals. And, and now we have, like, health insurance. And now we have CAT scans. Certainly, they needed the power of God because they didn't have modern medicine. I just read your mind. We, we default to power being God's ability to skill a doctor to do what a doctor's trained to do. I'm pro-doctor. I use my insurance as much as possible, and I believe in all medicine. But let's remember that the kingdom of God is spiritual, 
the kingdom of God has power over everything. What I'm saying is we need to consider Jesus first. So how much of our trust when we are ill is in Jesus to make right what is wrong and the kingdom of God to come and address that situation? How much of our actual trust is in Jesus versus in the stuff that he's given us? Think about it. Now, if that's convicting, it should be. Because what Jesus said to them was so wacko, they didn't believe him. So if you don't believe it, you're in good company. You're with Peter, James, John, and the rest of them, okay? So our goal as a church is to help people experience life in Jesus, the vision, the mission. What we're after is that if you're a part of this family, that God would use you to help people experience life in Jesus. So I'm a little toss a grenade and walk away. Could it be that some of what God wants to do in using you to help people experience life, whatever that is, in Jesus, is connected to him using you in ways that you don't have power to do? Could it be that God wants to, yes, use you in your area of ability and skill? That's great. If you're an engineer, design to the glory of God. If you're a doctor, do your thing to the glory of God. If you're a teacher, educate to the glory of God. But could it be that part of God's kingdom agenda is to go beyond your power, dunamis, and use his power? Could it be that God wants to use you? If it's scary, you should be scared because this is Jesus' stuff. So it's about knowledge, but it's also about what we cannot do in our own strength. Now, I want to avoid two extremes. Some of you are like, Jose, I'm already getting spooked. Uh, two extremes we want to avoid. The extreme on the one hand is that miracles happen every day in the life of every believer. Okay, reality check. That's not true. When you read the book of Acts, you think, well, the miracles are happening, the miracles are happening, the miracles. You're like, Paul Revere, the British are coming. I mean, you know, the miracles, the miracles, the miracles. And that's true. But Acts records 30 plus years of history in churches all around the empire. And you get some, but you don't see it every day in every church everywhere. So I should have expectation, but I shouldn't be disappointed. Like, was the gathering great? No one was raised this week. It was kind of like mediocre. No one walked out of a wheelchair or no one who had blind eyes was able to see. So I don't know if I'm going to go back. I'm going to sunrise. Like, you know, whatever. You know, anyway, whatever. That came out of nowhere. (laughs) You should go to sunrise, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, so so is is that, no, no. So that's one extreme. I don't think most of us are caught up in that extreme. I think most of us are stuck in this extreme. I don't know if Jesus wants to do any of that. And if he does, I know he doesn't want to use me. (laughs) I think we're caught more. Now, what we want to do is to move towards the middle and realize they do happen. And it is possible that God can use anyone here. And as we're going to see as we study Acts, he does not only use the 12 apostles, but he uses all sorts of people to do his kingdom work. So that's an encouraging and frightening word. Where are you on the extremes? I pray that the study challenges you. Kingdom of God is spiritual. Secondly, the kingdom of God is gradual. The kingdom of God is gradual. They were expecting, boom, day of the Lord, all done, Israeli king, Israeli land, Israeli temple, and the whole world could look to Israel, ethnic Israel in the land, and say, wow, that's what God and following God is like. And they realized quickly that 
the kingdom of God is not going to come that way. And so the rest of the book of Acts is the answering to the question, when? They said, Lord, when? At this time? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he's like, it's none of your business of the time or dates. But the kingdom is going to spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, until the ends of the earth. So God is going to... He's going to establish his rule into the lives of people. Church is going to be started. Movement's going to happen. The presence of God is going to be there. It's not going to happen in one day. Now, Jesus had been teaching this. Luke 13. We'll throw it on the screen for you. Jesus um, asked, what is the kingdom of God like? He asked a little trick question. What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the garden. It grew, and it became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. So the kingdom of God is like a seed. It's like a small seed. And it goes in, and over time, it flourishes. Again, he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour, not a small batch, until it worked all through the dough. Little bit of yeast, huge batch of flour. And over time, that yeast works its way and has its effect. So the kingdom of God to Jesus was always going to be a gradual thing, which is encouraging to every one of us here. What God wants to do in leading and guiding and moving you is not going to all happen in one day. Now, there is a moment where you go from the kingdom of darkness, slave to sin, not following God, to the kingdom of light. There is a moment where you step out of the kingdom of the enemy, and you go to the kingdom of your creator. That is a moment, but the kingdom of God being worked in in you, it's spiritual. The Holy Spirit comes and does it over time, and it is gradual. We don't see it in a moment. So Jesus' metaphor makes the point. This really helps us because if you look at the kingdom of Jesus and you look at what's happening in the world, it's a little confusing. You think in 2,000 years, wouldn't everyone be a Christian by now? Like, wouldn't? Like with all this knowledge, wouldn't everyone follow Jesus? Remember, even in the midst of radical Islam and bombings and terrorism in France, in other events being avoided by the grace of God across Europe and Belgium and other places. As we think about our own country and all the craziness happening in the kingdom of the enemy and darkness trying to destroy people, whatever faith it is, I think we're smart enough to realize killing people in the name of anyone is just dumb. And it's godless. and doesn't have the mark of Jesus. In the wake of that, churches are being planted in Belgium and in France. And the Spirit of God is moving. And so I need to keep a broad view to remember the kingdom of God is spiritual. The kingdom of God is gradual. So darkness is moving, but light is moving all the more. And in every generation... God is at work establishing his rule. And finally, the kingdom of God is global. So he says, you receive power and the Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this is really hard for them and sometimes it's hard for us. It's harder for them than it is for us. Because for them, to be a good Jew meant that you avoid Gentiles. To be a God-honoring Jew, you would not eat, you would not do commerce, you would avoid those who avoid, have avoided God. So you don't go to Samaria, and you, and you avoid the culture of the ends of the earth. And what Jesus says is, when, when you get my spirit, I'm going to send you, 
and you're going to be my representatives, my witnesses. You're going to show the power of God's rule through you beyond what you would ever imagine. Jesus is speaking in Jerusalem to people in Jerusalem, and he says, man, I'm going to send you out. So the kingdom of God is not only spiritual, not only gradual, it is global. So as a local community of Jesus followers, we need to remember all of that. It's not about a building. It's not about us. It's about God's spirit at work in the people around us. It's not going to happen in a moment. I was hoping all of Hillsborough would be converted by the second week. It hasn't happened yet. Maybe by the second decade. I don't know. But it's gradual. And it's global. So, so it is not just about the Sunset Corridor. So whenever I think of this church, I think that, that our mission is to the Sunset Corridor and beyond. Because what we're called to do has everything to do with where we live but it also has to do with those who we will never see or many of you will never see. It is a global work, so we cannot turn a blind eye to what's happening around us. The kingdom of God is not just coming here. It's coming everywhere. And so what you see in the book of Acts is the spread. So let's just think about this. When versus where. When versus where. The disciples are focused on when is it going to happen? And Jesus is saying, when you receive the Spirit, here's going to be your responsibility. Where? I'm going to send you. As you follow me, I'm going to push you beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, and beyond Samaria. Think of the places that when you started following Jesus, you said, Jesus, I'll follow you, but, and then fill in the blank. Jesus, I'm willing to go your way, except. For many, it, for some reason, because of stigma, as I'll follow you, just don't send me as a missionary to Africa because there's bugs or whatever, you know. When we embrace the kingdom of God, when we embrace Jesus, it opens us up to the possibilities that God can do anything, anywhere with any one of you. He could use me, he could use you. And so we want to be a community that focuses not just on the here work but on the global work. And the beauty is you're a part of a community of Sunsets Your Home that cares about the poor, the widow, the orphan here, the poor, the widow, the orphan around the world, that cares about the gospel. Preaching Jesus is the only solution for all of life's troubles. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We do that here. We do it all around the world. We care about church planting here. We care about church planting all around the world. We are a global community, not to make us, because if you're a company and you're international, it's like a badge of coolness. We're a global enterprise. No, you have one office in a hut around the world. You're not global. But in that sense, as a community, we have a global presence and a global responsibility, and we're calling you to that. I do have a point in emphasizing that. Uh, if you, if you want to know about how you can connect what God is already doing, God is already working through you, through your generosity, all around the world, there is a website that you can go to, hearthecry.com. You can go to the, our website, but you have to link a few ways over. But if you just go to hearthecry.com, you will see a listing of all of the opportunities, the global opportunities that you have. Now serve here, please, serve here. Do something in your community. Follow God's passion right at home. But on top of that, you can go, and there are trips to Nicaragua, there are trips... Uh, this trip to Iraq, there's opportunities all over the world. I threw up Uganda simply because Scott Ballard and I are co-leading a team this summer where 
we're going to be doing acts kind of stuff. We're working with a church plant that you helped plant in Aru in the north in a very Muslim part of Uganda. And we're going to go to proclaim the good news. We're going to invite you, mother of four, or you, Intel engineer, to open your mouth and speak of the wonders of Jesus and to tell what Jesus has done in your life. And also as well, you, because of your generosity, have helped to launch a school for kids who can't afford it in Arua. So a week of sharing the gospel in schools and in the community, in big events. You, if you go to Uganda, are going to see hundreds of people respond to the gospel. Not ten, hundreds. Because the Spirit of God is at work and the kingdom of God is advancing. And I want you, all of the trips are open to everyone. But I'm pleading with you to consider the Uganda one in end of June and beginning of July because we're going to spend a week doing that and then a week serving the least of these around Arua Community Church, which you help plant. There's just poverty everywhere. We're just going to love and serve and boost what God is doing there. Will you join in God's global work? The opportunity is there, and I invite you to consider it. Well, in light of all this, what does God have in store for you? I'm going to end with the beginning. It's not for you to know when, but it's for you to pray where. So, so, so I prayed, and those of you there at the beginning, I prayed 500 people would be baptized in the first year of this church. I figured God's big. Why go with five? And you know what? In the first year of this church, 500 people were not baptized in this church. And I don't care. Because I'd rather pray bigger. I'd rather dream higher because God knows his kids and if his kids step out in faith, you never know if you exercise faith and trust that Jesus will do, he may surprise you. I long for the day and maybe I'll see it. Maybe it's the next guy who'll be smarter and have more hair. I don't know, like maybe the next guy will get a chance. I long for the day when you say, by the grace of God, 500 people were baptized, not just in Africa, but here in the U.S. of A. And until then, I pray. And I say, God, your kingdom come and use ordinary schleps like me. God, I'm not going to be concerned about when. I'm going to focus on where. What am I saying? I'm saying we need the Holy Spirit. Because all of this stuff, it's impossible. I would love it if you could plan for a church to thrive. You actually can't do it. I'm kind of new at this, so forgive me for my stupidity. You, you can't plan this. How does the church thrive? We need the Holy Spirit. How do people come to faith in Jesus? We need the Holy Spirit. How do we see God's kingdom come in places we haven't even thought about? We need the Holy Spirit. Not just some impersonal force. We need God's own spirit. And what we're going to see, because most of you read Acts, is God already gave us his Holy Spirit. So Acts 1 and 2, they're looking ahead to a promise. Acts 1 and 2, we're looking back. The promise has already been given. The question is, will you and I ask the Spirit of God where? Not if, not when, where? Where, Holy Spirit, do you want me to put my hands and feet? And where do you want me to trust you to move in ways that are dynamic? Little aside, dunamis, power, and the word miracle is dunamain. The very word miracle is the word power. They're cousins. So God's power is God's ability to do what only God can do. And when God does what only God can do, we call that the miraculous. And frankly, that's what we need. We need God to step in. 
and he wants to by his spirit. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to respond in worship, but we're, we're going to break the mold over the next two years. Two years, baby steps. And we're going to invite the spirit of God to actually lead us, like really. If we want to be led by the spirit of God, there is one requirement. We must allow him room to move because when the spirit of God speaks and does what he does, it, it, it requires time and attention. So we're going to start with a baby step this morning. Anthony, why don't you come up? And we're just going to ask the Spirit of God, where? That's it. That's, that, that's it. That's the experiment. Where? So uh, why don't you stand? You don't need a keyboard to enter the presence of God. Okay? You don't need a shift in lighting. You don't need noise. What you need and I need is a sensitivity to God's own leading. And let me tell you, friend, if this is all new to you, if you're not yet following Jesus, this sounds crazy. I totally admit it. But I think it's legit. I really do. I'm convinced it's legit. And I think that if you and I are open to God by his Holy Spirit telling us, where now, now where could be paint next Saturday? It doesn't have to be mystical. Like, man, I was tugged at that. Maybe as you pray, the Spirit is saying, give up something on Saturday and serve the body, paint. It may mean join one of the mission communities. It may, mean, it may mean, oh, that cousin you haven't been thinking about. The Lord brings that cousin to mind. Okay, that's where I need to focus my prayer, my energy. Lord, what is it that my cousin needs? Where can I serve? You get what I'm saying? This isn't like rocket science stuff, but we gotta start somewhere. Let's, let's ask God where. And if he tells you something, then do me this favor. When the gathering's done and you're with your friends or whoever you came with or going home to, just tell them, hey, this morning, get on the hook. This morning, I think God is leading me towards this. Because if you tell someone there's some power in that, and also when you don't do anything about it, <laughs> someone can say, hey, what? I thought God was kind of leaning you towards that. And they can, they can be used by the Spirit of God to help you along. Make sense? So let, let's do this. And they're just going to play for a bit. Close your eyes, because this is freaky stuff. It doesn't have to be, but for many of us, we're just throwing it off. And I like to open my hands, because it's a posture of non-defense. On Christmas morning, when you got gifts for me, I, I open my hands. I receive it. That's a, this is a posture of receiving. And that, nothing spiritual about it. And let's just take a minute. I'm going to be quiet. Anthony's going to play. Just ask God, where? Where do you want to use me? Where do you want to work in my own life? Let the Holy Spirit, give him room to nudge your thinking and your feeling. Why don't you just do that?